Our country is more divided than ever before, and not just between those who put pineapple on their pizza. There's members on both sides of the aisle uh, who are more interested in making noise than they are about governing. From the committee rooms to this floor, we commit to pursue the truth passionately. There's a mic right there, and that's a damn short walk. It's why people don't trust people like you, because you peddle false narratives. And so we disabuse you of those narratives. We must all hang together, Benjamin Franklin said, or assuredly we will all hang separately. Previously on Dakota Town Hall. We have the best guests, Mr. Tony Van Huysen. Uh, yeah, thank you. Yeah, the uh, as you mentioned, I'm on appropriations, and so that's where I've been spending the bulk of my time. Can you talk to us a little bit about what we're kind of seeing in terms of the health of the South Dakota economy over the last year and what what we're kind of expecting to see in years to come? With an overview on the whole budget from the budget office and then hearing from a lot of smaller agencies or agencies that don't have much change in their budgets, uh, probably eight or ten of those. Uh, on the strength of the economy, South Dakota's economy is very strong, and that's reflected by our revenue growth, which six months into the year, we've grown by 12% on the sales tax. Like, yeah, if you don't like it, don't go. You know what I mean? But we don't need to burn the house down because there was an optional conference that you didn't like. Okay, there's the end of our transgender nonsense. Let's go to Jake. Jake, you talk to Joe Sneavy. All right, I am here with uh, one half of the... Dakota Scout newspaper slash media website, Joe Sneavy. Hey, Jake. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Congratulations on your new podcast, too, by the way. Our, the pothead contingent in Pierre has been silent so far. I'm going to, I want to know, I want to know when the UB40 music's coming into town. Welcome to Dakota Town Hall, South Dakota's weekly political podcast. Well, boys, we have a hit on our hands. Welcome back. It's week three, Dakota Town Hall. My name is Murdoch, one of the uh, very excited hosts for this week's show. And along with me, when we guys, we get to do our first in-person show. We're actually looking at each other this episode. Please do introduce Mr. Jake Schoenbeck and Mr. Noah Grable. Wrong, we, wrong pronunciation. There, am I saying it. that wrong the whole time? Yeah. I wasn't going to say anything. But oh, my goodness. Like really? We, this is the third it, episode? It's Grebel. I, I, I was thinking that too. Yeah. <laughs> you want to hear something funny? I accidentally called an employee's wife Victoria for like three years and they never corrected, <laughs> corrected me about was, it. Was her name like close oh to Victoria? Goodness, was it like. So, no. There's no close names to start with a V, is there? Yeah, it was a V name. It was. But yeah, it was. Now now it's now we just call it Say Victoria. Grebel? Uh, yep. We got I'm it. sorry, buddy. It's okay. Grebel just sounds, you know. It sounds correct. Here's no, it what, doesn't. Here's what I'm going to go with. That's your broadcaster personality. Oh, wow. Grable is when you want to talk to the people. Grable's when you're behind the scenes in the trenches. It's a great stage name, yeah. Grable sounds like a gremlin in the trash. It's Grable, Grable, Grable. I'm, I don't know what's any different between a gremlin in the trash and working in the business well, than we do. Well, that's but. the first. So everyone gets to hear the first. I get to have the first real embarrassing moment on this show. I'm really sorry about I that. I waited three weeks for this. I'm oh, glad my you're good. Happy. You wait. Nice patience. Good pull. Good pull. Well, Mr. Noah Grable. You're going to notice that our mics are all crystal clear this week. We are in studio at Town Square Media. Thank you very much. Here on the East River. Bert and team, consummate hosts. And uh, yeah, but next week you'll be able to hear Jake the entire episode as well. Sorry, but thanks for your patience. I'm getting, I know, I was kind of in meetings all day and and I heard my phone go off a bunch. And my first few texts that I got, I I feel like I'm a little bit of every time one of these (laughs) Freedom Caucus ding-dongs does something silly. My text starts to go off like crazy. So yeah, I mean, you might have been getting a lot of texts, but we got a few policy things to go through this week. But 
we really don't have that much to talk about. <laughs> slow right. week. It's a real slow week. Slow week. Slow week. Oh, Sneevy can sleep in and take naps. Easy day for Sneevy. Yeah, it's uh, Thursday right now. Uh, we release on Fridays, but it's what, like 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock on Thursday. Nothing happened a couple Nothing. hours no ago. No kidding. I Senate, heard Lee slept in until 10 o'clock today. Yeah, it. I had an easy night as far as I know. Him and Casey were just uh, slamming wine at the uh, Red Rosa as far as I know. <laughs> so <laughs> let's do that. We're going to get, trust me, we'll get into the JFMs of, of this episode. Just hang in with us, and we're going to talk to our good friend Pat Powers. Who is who is gonna? Ha- I think happily join that conversation. <laughs> He's the uh, host of the DakotaWaterCollege.com. Noah, you talk to Mort. All right, we got joining us today, Representative Will Mortensen from Pier. How you doing? How you doing, Representative? I'm doing well. You know, today is an off day for the legislature, so I'm in my law office in Fort Pier, looking at the Missouri River, and it's not that often I find a lot of enjoyment and drafting partnership agreements and doing the kind of ag business law that I do is typically a pretty mundane task, but I got to say, I'm really enjoying the change of pace right now. It's nice to just be back at my normal job. <laughs> yeah. And you'll have, I'm sure there's much more that those days are going to become much more appreciated as we, as the session pushes on. So hopefully, hopefully you can get as many of those as you, as you can. Yeah, we talk a lot about the citizen legislature, but, you know, the pace that we do session in peer is just not sustainable over a whole year. It's a like a I, I don't want to say it's a sprint, not a marathon. Maybe it's more like an 800 meter race where it's like right. you're running as fast as you can. But it's nine weeks is um, is good if it were even another month longer boy, I just don't know that it's sustainable in terms of the amount of hours that my colleagues and I are putting in. It's good. We're already a third done. I mean, we're three weeks into a nine-week main run. Um, and before you know it, it'll be March, and, and we'll all be back to our regular jobs. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, one of the big things this week that, that we're talking about is uh, the the housing bill, Senate Bill 41, that passed through the House on believe it was Monday. Can you give us a little bit of background on how that bill came to be again this year and um, what you what you hope to see out of its passage? Yeah, well, the first key thing to know is that in South Dakota, we don't do public housing. I mean, the dollars that were in that bill go to infrastructure. So what are we talking about there? Streets, curb and gutter, sewer lines, water lines, utilities, the kind of things that uh, I think a lot of us feel like infrastructure is something that government has a role in playing uh, or in, in, in providing for the citizens. It's not like uh, this program is going to set up to build houses or projects or something like that. So that's the first thing to know is that uh, this is really, you know, solving the piece that we feel like government has a role in, which is the infrastructure component uh, of developing new houses. A lot of times government, I think Washington, D.C. screws this up all the time. They see a problem and they say, oh, this or that is too expensive. And so what do they do? They subsidize it, which just increases demand. And like the federal government does that on daycare, right? So for daycare, I have two kids who are five and two, and I get federal tax credits on my income tax that helps to pay for those, right? Like I don't have to pay federal income taxes up to, I think it's like $5,000, I can't really remember, um, for costs I incur in daycare. That's stimulating the demand side. This is really trying to stimulate the supply side. 
So it's not giving people additional money so they can spend it on houses. It's trying to increase the number of houses. And so when you have problems with inflation like we've got, I think government's got to be really careful that, in fact, what we're doing is trying to set up a, a framework by which we increase supply uh, as a way to drive costs down. So that's that's really, for me, how that program, um, if this project uh, works, it's it'll make the difference for uh, increasing supply of housing, and, and hopefully people have a a decent place to live and, and choose to make South Dakota their home, either by staying or coming here. Yeah, absolutely. And a lot, a lot of that has, we've seen kind of in the headlines is if, if I'm right and correct me if I'm wrong, this is, and I, I just want to explain this for the folks at home. This is not an additional appropriation to what happened last year, right? Correct. Really, we didn't change it much for policy. And we didn't add any new general funds. These dollars were allocated last year, uh, and they were put in the Housing Development Authority in, a, in an account, and this is kind of boring, but in an account called the Housing Opportunity Fund. That fund has existed for a while and received some federal dollars that are earmarked for only low-income folks. This program was aimed to be low-income, middle-class, you know, that, that sort of area where there's a little more flexibility some attorneys at housing got nervous and needed some clarification on where this is going to go. So the rollout of the program got delayed until we made the fixes that came through in this year's Senate Bill 41. And so the bill came through pretty quickly, but it's because we weren't adding any additional general funds and we weren't even changing that much for policy. We were just creating a, a new fund called the Housing Infrastructure Fund uh, in the Housing Development Authority. So it's really a a fix and a, what I think of as a completion of the effort that a lot of the groundwork was done on last year by Representative Roger Chase and Senator Casey Crabtree in the Senate. I think those guys are, are both do a lot of credit on, on getting this thing started uh, and not giving up. I mean, they've been persistent and I think uh, our state's going to benefit because of it. Staying on that topic of legislation, there was in state affairs this week, we, we're starting to kind of hear this challenge to the legislative process, specifically potentially on its constitutionality. We saw a bill proposed in the House State Affairs Committee on Monday that would remove the ability of the governor and the state agency to file bills at their request. Um, and I know the bill was tabled Monday at the request of the time prime sponsor, Representative Randolph. But, you know, you're an attorney and, you know, you've been around the legislative process for a few years now. What do you make of this challenge? How do you see something like that passing affecting the legislative process? Well, first, there's absolutely no constitutional claim. And that is a bogus claim. I mean, it's it's not even close. I mean, right now our um, our processes say that agencies can request that the legislature introduce bills. The legislature decides what bills can be introduced. Only legislators can introduce them, and they can do that either individually or through committees. There really is no constitutional claim. And I haven't talked to an attorney who didn't kind of scoff at that notion. So uh, the constitutional claim is, is not real valid. But there is a valid question of should agencies be able to request sponsorship of bills? And so what is that? You know, usually these what we call agency bills are the boring, I would say, details of state government type bills. Right. You know, we make updates to internal you know, revenue codes every year to update them or, you know, DOT, federal DOT has a new weights 
standard that we need to apply for our highway uh, to our highways, stuff like that. And so I think it's actually more transparent for the public when they know that it's coming at the request of an agency rather than having just a legislator's name on it and it's coming at the request of an agency through that member. I think that it lets the uh, public know who exactly is requesting this and if it's the administration or if it's an individual legislator. So one thing is that I don't think South Dakota is broken. And so I'm not trying to say, oh, we shouldn't do things the way we've been doing them for, for decades and decades. But maybe that's just kind of the conservative ethic of the thing is that we try to preserve the institutions we've got. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, on that kind of note, we've seen, you've seen a little bit of, I wouldn't call it infighting-ish, you know, especially with some of the remarks made on the House floor Monday Things kind of got personal with one representative making a comment about a alleged conflict of interest to another is, you know, is this the kind of is this the kind of precedent we want to be setting for banter on the House floor? And how do you see kind of those fences becoming mended as we continue through the session? Yeah, we've got a lot of new members in the legislature. And so some of our procedure early on was a little choppy as everybody got used to. Uh, functioning on that house floor, I think we're going to find our footing. One thing about the house is that there's 63 of us. We're not a monolith, right? We're not thinking with one brain. We don't represent, you know, we all represent different parts of the state. And and so I think it's my job to keep everybody in the boat, even if they're rowing in different directions. And that means being fair to everybody. That means understanding that I'm a leader of all the Republicans, the ones who think I'm great and the ones who don't think I'm great, I have to um, I have to go out and try to give their voice effect wherever I can. And I'm trying to do that in earnest and, and keep showing people good faith. And, uh, and hopefully that means we'll be able to land the plane here in another, well, what have we got, 25 days left. Uh, but by, by March 9, that we've got uh, good things done and the budget passed. Yeah, you know, and kind of just stay on, you know, always just kind of moving forward. Is there any any policies or anything like that that you're that you're bringing, you're looking forward to this year? Just anything in general? You know, cutting taxes is a priority of mine. I, I don't know what size, I don't really know what shape, but I we've now had three years of really strong revenue growth, and I think it's proper that we've been prudent and cautious the last couple of years and conservative in how we're estimating revenues. Now it seems like we've got enough growth to where if we're ever going to cut taxes, we got to do it this year. Uh, I don't think we're going to have budget years like this all that often. That's one thing I'm working toward, and, and again, I'm pretty open. There's three main mechanisms that have been proposed. One is course the governor's proposal to exempt food from the state sales tax uh the second one is to cut property taxes for homeowners uh and the third is to reduce the general sales tax rate from four and a half to something lower than that so you know we're going to work through those i know there's enthusiasm for that among the house republicans and so we're going to shepherding that through and keeping an eye on it is i think the biggest topic of the year and given that i'm you know, leading that House Republican group, that's the thing I guess I'm paying closest attention to. And uh, I'm, I'm carrying a few other bills, but your listeners don't want to hear about them. They're boring as so. <laughs> hell. All right. Well, thank you so much for the time today, Representative. Uh, we appreciate you coming on. Appreciate all the hard work you did here. 
Good man. Keep going. See ya. Will do. Thank you, Representative. I actually had a cat named Mort that died not too long ago. That's, Fun fact. That's exactly um. how I want to come back from an interview. <laughs> that is the best way ever. So it reminds me of that, you know. Really good cat. Uh, also a really good uh, House Majority Leader. Okay. Very good. Very that's, good House that's, Majority that's, Leader. That should go on the yard sign. So, okay, Jake, let's let's go to housing. I'm, I, I leave it, you know, future candidate to, to weigh in on some things here. You know, this was a topic when I was actually running for the house. How they're going to deal with the housing stuff. Sure. The workforce shortages. Nothing new. Nothing new at C- all. It's... Certainly maybe just more egregious than last time. Yeah, no doubt at all. Um, and the big issue was that there was a small hiccup in how the bill was written last time. Instead of push this fix through really fast, you saw, I think, I want to say 16 votes against it in the House. And it was 16 votes of what you can reliably call the Freedom Caucus, I think, now. Okay. We kind of saw their names put in uh, red on the House voting screen. 16's a little bigger than, the, I guess, I'd, you know, depends on how your Batman list is written. <laughs> ah, I think if you look at this list, it's, it's fairly accurate. It's, okay. it's people like, well, it's obviously the like usual all... usual suspects. Yeah, all word. It's, 16, uh, yep. I'm yep. Pull, I got the vote pulled up right now. Um, yep, 16 votes on the housing to not pass it. Um, you use Alk, Aylward, Gross, Hansen, Phil Jensen, Chris Carr, Cromer, Lems, May, Mills, Mullally, Odenbach, Overwig, Randolph, Sharda, and soy. The fine gentleman from District 33 uh, calling out some. You can't even say across the aisle. There's on this. Yeah, same, that same damn team. That was unique. Um, actually, a little fun fact. So, okay, we should explain that a yes. little if you don't know yeah. what's going on. So, so you want to do it? it? Hey, that is know. your representative, isn't All it? I, ow! You're one of his many <laughs> constituents. Ouch! First off, I'm 34. I'm in, I'm with the good people of 34. Adjacent. Um, I am unfor. I'd I'd say an unfortunate neighbor to Mr. Jensen. So here's what happened. Uh, we had Roger Chase, who was the prime sponsor in the House on that bill, and Roger Chase is a realtor. Now, at the end of the vote, uh, Jensen stood up and had a point of order. Jensen had a point of order, uh, saying that Roger Chase had a conflict of interest being a realtor and being a prime sponsor of a housing bill. Do you think for a second? Hugh Bartles, the Speaker of the House, was thinking just for a second. I should have let Jess Olson take this down. <laughs> <laughs> I think he thinks that very often with that house right, around right, him. Right. Okay, so he makes a point of order, and and you know it gets it gets voted down. It's get no, it gets shot down by the Speaker. The speaker that's, of the House overrules. Okay. Okay. He overruled. He overruled it. Okay. In fact, it was so out of line. I've heard from fairly good sources that they're giving him a three strike rule right now. Bill Jensen. And he already has two strikes. I have that on very, very good authority. And that the third strike means he's kicked out of caucus. The first strike, uh, I listened to our Joe Sneavy interview. Joe gave us some uh, hot gossip that when Rounds came and talked to the House caucus, Jensen started yelling at him at the end of it for not uh, investigating January 6th stuff. Oh, I did hear about that. And that was strike one, as far as I've heard, from good sources. Strike two is this. And he's on strike three right now. Seeing if he can strike out or not. Just as an aside, as a fellow who is... I won't say I'm an expert, but as a fella who has certainly worked on many a campaign right now, even even in even in District 33, I would advise you to maybe not die on the hill of defending the January 6th. Even, you know, even if you're still hanging on to QAnon at Thanksgiving, just as a campaign note, maybe keep that gun in your holster. Yeah, I think that's a good, good I idea. I would agree. Cool. I would agree. And... From what I understand, and we'll have to check with Pat Powers on this to make sure, but, you know, a part, a big part of the group that took place on the January 6th riots was the Oath Keepers. And as far as I know, oh, yeah, and I'm not a, he is a registered he member, is, yeah. 
of is the, or was was he's was trying to is. yeah trying to be like ah you know uh, that's not me anymore meeting you know <laughs> i was an insurrectionist not anymore <laughs> so we'll say i'll say for the record yeah i don't know if he is or was but at some like a, point he de- was a I member believe it as depends far as on insurance. the room you're in you know well, yeah if you're in the capitol on january 6th you're an insurrectionist <laughs> yes, you're not- sure, yeah sure that's you know that's math. Okay, hold on a second. We said we're gonna save this to the end. Let's get back to let's get back to housing. Jake, so what's next steps? Next steps, this bill is going to the governor's desk. Gonna sign it. There's no reason. Uh it's two hundred million dollars. Uh thirty percent goes to Rapid City and Sioux Falls. Another seventy percent goes to small communities across the state. Okay, so maybe let's back up a bit. For those of you joining and you're not all the way a junkie junkie, it's two hundred no what's two hundred million bucks by the state? Well, 200 million bucks buys the state through, from what I understand to be a grants and loans program, which will, you know, help to develop what's what's kind of under the ground, right? This is the infrastructure for housing. So when you see a parcel of land, you know, you can't, when you see a parcel of land, you know, you can't just throw a house up on any, you know, spot in the hills, right? You need, sure. there's, you need broadband, Curvy you need gutter, yep, blah, blah, all blah. that. And this is kind of, from what I understand, um, it just kind of lays the groundwork for housing development. And there's we're in kind of a situation where we have a lot of open jobs in South Dakota. And if we want people to move to South Dakota and have jobs, they got to have places to live. And this would be a more like, uh, you know, uh, you see this in bigger metros, right? When they have a housing crisis, a company will come in and they'll swing up 1,200 houses in a yeah. big-ass development, right? So this like, is uh, those this, need TIFs and those need grants and those need loans. And yep. This bill includes a hundred million dollars and a hundred million state dollars for a low interest revolving loan fund. Another fifty million of state money and fifty million in federal stimulus money would be uh, used for grants. Good thing, bad thing. What was missing? What could have been better? From what I understand, both Senate and House leadership they seem generally happy that this bill went through. It is. Something that there was a lot of amendments proposed. They threw a ton of amendments at it. Um, none of them went through. There was an argument about these funds potentially needing to have more interaction with the counties. Representative Becky Jury from District 32 stood up and she, who I think the world of, and I think that she, what she said was there's an issue there because if the money goes to the counties, there's issues there with the per capita determination and that the money could exceed that cap. And that was kind of verbatim from the House floor. Arguing arguing with the people on the House floor that voted against it was that it wasn't a free market proposal. It was big government getting in the way and basically just giving big money to the big uh, construction groups. I hear, I can hear that argument, just devil's advocate, when it's not surrounded by you trying to get in everybody's pants. So, you know, park it. Sorry. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, you know, we had to find a solution to our housing problems here in the state. We right. need more gotta workers. We got to do something. The private market will not fill this. We have to fill in somehow here. And this is not an overhanded step by the government, in my opinion. So it's, you got to think of it as an investment, right? So if it's like the average citizen is just never going to understand a $200 million development project or a $180 million school bond vote. It's just it's a hard thing to understand. It's a hard thing to grasp. I mean, the fact, look, look at our farmers in, in this country. They uh, right. subside on, on government uh, subsidies significantly to operate. And I, and I don't have a problem with that because our farmers are very important to us. And it's an investment That's in That's how you know he's running for something later. Nice save. Nice save. I think our farmers yeah, are like, like, that, like that right turn there. <laughs> so speaking of complicated numbers, it, it was, it's also, it was, a, it was, it's tax week, apparently. You know, they put in 80 bills I heard today on the Thursday as we're recording this. So it seems like tax week. We should maybe take a swing. Food tax is the one we've been talking about on this show a lot. Maybe we start with a food tax update. 
Did I hear it went through a House committee? Yeah, so it went through, from what I understand, it's out of the House Committee on Taxation. It has moved to the House Committee on Appropriations. And to clarify what I talked about last week, I misspoke on that procedure. So from what from what we from what Jake and I learned, I think it's so it goes from the House Committee, it goes from the House Committee on Taxation to the House Committee on Appropriations. And what Senator Crabtree talked about in his press conference this morning is why doesn't it go to joint appropriations? Because it actually doesn't have an appropriation in it. It's a tax cut. It's so it's from what I understand it, you have to deal with the policy side on taxation and then you deal with kind of the fiscal logistics when it gets into house appropriations. But from what I understand, it doesn't go it doesn't go to joint. Jake, am I right there? That is correct. Okay. Uh, yes. So it was a 12 to 1 vote um, out of uh, taxation with a due pass to House appropriations. All right, that's food tax. It's rolling through committees. It's going to be a while till that comes to the floor, and we see more, you know, actual debate on that on the floor. Uh, there's another tax that went to the governor's desk this week, and that was the tax to reduce unemployment tax on employers. Yep. So that was a bill that brought that was came, that was brought to. It is if you are a private employer, from what I understand, you can participate in the state's reemployment assistance program. And if you, as a private employer, um, participate in that program, there is a tax benefit waiting for you. So it's basically to make sure from what the governor seems to have had with her intent is you're not just you're not just, you know, throwing government money out, but you're incentivizing you're doing this through the private market and to kind of keep the inflowing to keep the economy inflowing and to kind of keep that principle limited government. So there has been a tax cut that's yeah. went to the governor's desk this year and um, there was a lot of there was a lot of good remarks about it on the floor. Um, Representative Shorma, he was from he's from the Vermilion area. He's a business owner, and he talked about it. And he said, you know, these these funds help. These funds help businesses. So you know, of all else fails, there we have gotten a tax cut this year. <laughs> I think my favorite quote from the floor though came from a Democrat senator Senator uh, Nezaba. We should not be cutting this. We should getting more people on unemployment. Yeah, I agree. It's hard. It like it, I, it'll I kill don't you in a campaign. It's an investment. I know Democrats. It's stupid. It, and I, I mean, and I know government it, regulation is a hard one to want to manage it as a system. And I'm with you and all that. But there's no difference between that and housing workforce development. It's the same investment. It's just people instead of buildings. I think right now is a hard time to say when you more people unemployment when there's a lot of jobs available right now. It, hard to argue that it's a perfect system. I just think Nezaba saying we need to get people on unemployment versus getting people in jobs is a hard argument to make. It's a hard, especially in this it's environment. It's a hard phrase of turn to campaign against, but if but because he's because it's trying to be it's a little you know it's trying to be a little funny, right? Yeah, that I get. Also, some people just don't like it because of the source. You know, then maybe the Democrats pick a different launch pad. Yeah, and, and this wouldn't be you know Healy wouldn't be such a hard argument to hear that from. Right. Yeah. Sure. Um. Let's go to, for the sake of... You guys want to bring in Pat, talk about Julie Fremuller? <laughs> okay. All right. All right. Uh, we'll turn this... We're actually together, so I'm going to turn this into a committee. I move that we suspend the rest of the policy talk for a little later, and we bring in Mr. Pat Powers. I, I'm curious. Do I have to represent the far right or anything? Do I have to, like, represent? You have to or, play a part. Or do, no. play, do play a part? Oh, play. thank God. Oh, yeah, let's bring him in. We are now live with... Someone that Jake and I and Murdoch, we all consider to be, you know, frankly, a legend in South Dakota politics. Certainly a mentor of mine, I will take. A friend of the podcast. Yes. A very good friend of the program. 
we are excited to welcome Mr. Pat Powers, owner of the Dakota War College. Yeah, how you doing, Pat? I, I'm good. I'm good. I'm not sure I can accept all those accolades. I I might prefer more infamous. No, but, we got it. But we're we'll a, go with it. We're a new podcast. You're you're an established <laughs> brand. We got to kiss your ass for a few episodes. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Pat has been a persistent force in South Dakota politics for as long as I can remember as a child. So we've been, we've been all episode, we've been not talking about Julie Fry Mueller because we've been saving, we wanted you to come on and join the fun. Pat, this is where the infamous part starts. <laughs> We're welcoming wild speculation here. <laughs> well, you know, and, and I don't think I've ever, uh, I've ever been shy about the fact that you know, I am I am just not a fan. <laughs> really? I am also uh, off the Christmas I never, card list. I, I never got that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I know, I know. You know, she's she's always been kind of uh controversial and, and makes no bones about being as hard right as possible and, and ranks up there on the uh, Citizens for Liberty scorecard. Uh well, I know I know Recently, she was she was number one on the Citizens for Liberty scorecard in organization ran by her husband. So I, I'm not sure how that works. I can only dream of that sort of ranking. Wow. <laughs> so, let's back up from the beginning and like explain if maybe no one knows what's happening here. From the start. Okay. From what we understood and this, you know, this escalated very quickly. So this started with all of a sudden, you know, on the House floor, it was the the secretary of the Senate announced that. Um, President Pro Tem removes Senator Fry Mueller from her committees. And everyone was like, what <laughs> is this? And that is one of those things where it doesn't happen off for something to happen like that. And then everyone was like, OK, well, what you know, what happened? And the Dakota Scout reported it at first that it was a, quote, workplace harassment issue involving an LRC staff member. It sounds like it was an inappropriate conversation. So when they first, when the story first broke, Senator Schoen back in Casey Crabtree, Senator Casey Crabtree, uh, they both declined to comment. They just said, you know, they can't say anything besides the fact that this has happened. Move forward a day. She stated this morning that the reason that she was removed from her committees is because she was promoting freedom. Yeah, I, I, I did see that, and uh, I, I was kind of, I was absolutely floored at that statement because, you know, uh, it's just one of those things where when you're, when you're under the microscope in that manner, you know, and, and Jake, I'm, I'm sure uh, <laughs> your, your, your father would, would give the advice, you know, you, you don't necessarily go shooting your mouth off, but you know, she had a canned statement that was very, very, you know, freedom oriented and portrayed herself as the victim. And uh, that was that was, at least in my view, not the not the way to be. I wouldn't have said a word if I were her. No, you and in fact, Mexico, credit, you <laughs> credit to my dad. He gave me a no comment. He gave a no comment to his son. I know. So I couldn't even get anything <laughs> out of him. sucks. There's a one benefit. <laughs> We got a no comments, first no comment I've ever received from Lee. I know, right? He makes all the stupid comments in the world. And then I go to his own son. Come on, man. I guess that's fair. He's uh, got to let due process go through there. Well, you know, the thing that struck me was is how mum everybody has has been on this. Yeah, still kind of, right? I've never seen it like this before. Well, you know, and, and the most comparable thing would be going back to when the Senate had to take action against uh, D. 
Dan Sutton yep. for you know his his conduct with uh, a legislative page or alleged conduct with a legislative page. But you know there were there were disputes on what happened there. You know that was a little more contested. Whereas this, you know, they've got it locked down pretty tight, but, you know, it involves, it isn't just a political matter. It's, uh, you know, a little more involvement with a a regular employee of the Legislative Research Council. I mean, they're treating it purely as an employment matter. You know, they're they're taking no different action than you would see in the public sector. It's like nailing Capone on a tax beef. It's very much like that. (laughs) And in fact, Pads, could you bring up that that case, uh, the instance of uh, Dan Sutton? Sutton. Because if you look at, so I don't think we got this pointed on where we're discussing discussing this. Uh, At around two o'clock today, Julie Freimuller got suspended from her ability to vote on the House floor, Senate floor, Senate floor. Senate floor. Pending an investigation, right, just, so the so let's let's get to, let's get to that real quick. I'm gonna get back to the sudden stuff that's gonna come in very okay. important here in this conversation. Yes. yes. So what we saw today was this is like you know like we said this stuff doesn't usually get this far. So from what I understand, there was there was a motion made by Senators Otten and Roll to suspend Senator Fry Mueller from the Senate and to form a select committee on discipline and expulsion. Yes. What that contains is they are going to go through and do a formal investigation of what of what the conduct was. And from there, they will decide if she can be back on committees or if they will move to have her permanently removed from the Senate. And as that motion was made, um, the lieutenant governor actually said that he was like, I'm going to rule this out of order and we're not going to make this motion. And Senator Schoenbeck pulled, he pulled a rabbit out of his hat and he, he didn't probably not even a rabbit I, out of his hat. I think he had the votes. I think, no, I think he knew it was coming. Yeah. Uh, they or they the, had a discussion the in caucus. That's clear they did. Sure. Beforehand. I'm not saying that I've not been told that, but from what Julie Freimler said on the Senate floor. You haven't been told anything. No, I am not. I really haven't. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm a terrible source for this, this podcast today. But uh, there was clearly a discussion that was had in caucus about yes. this. And so the votes were clearly there. Yes. So let me well, I'll, let me walk that back. I want to say that better. But so Schoenbeck stood up because you if the if the president or if it was in the House, like the Speaker of the House, they rule something out of the order. You can challenge that. You can challenge the ruling with um, I think it's is it a majority. Two thirds. Two thirds. It's a standing and, vote. It's not a two thirds. Two thirds standing vote. And so they overruled it and then they they moved they then the, then the vote happened. There was 27 yeas, six nays. People spoke in opposition to it, but the only two people that spoke in opposition were Senator Tom Pischke from Dell Rapids and Senator Julie Freimuller. They both said kind of the same thing, which I think is a little unfounded given the circumstances and the amount of information that's about to come out soon. But they're like this they basically said it's a vendetta. They said it's a mm-hmm. vendetta against Senate leadership against Senator Freimuller. Now we get and welcome right. back Pat. Welcome Pat. back Pat <laughs> for some wild speculation. I can't wait. What, what do you get? What do you got for us, Pat? Well, you know, and and looking at it, the thing that shocked me, uh, you know, you had over seventy-five percent of the Senate agree to suspend the rules and Senator Freimuller for the time being. You know, for something that uh, kind of is more of a, a political matter than uh, than a matter of policy, you know, you had 
uh, 77% of the senators in the chamber agree that she needs to step out of this while they investigate. They can't I agree mean, on lunch, so them agreeing on that. I mean, that's is, what I'm well, saying, yeah, right? Exactly. Like, I mean, you the... can't. I mean, you had you had everybody standing in lockstep, and as, as it was pointed out to me, I, I believe there was even a senator who voted against one of the impeachment articles who wow. supported uh, booting her out. Okay, so let's get to it. Do we? Does anybody know what she said? Do we have any sort no, of I, rumors I, I, here? I believe that we should certainly start with no one knows yes. anything. Yeah. So These as are... we dip into wild speculation, yeah. yep. Here's I'll. We've got. I don't know about you guys. I got no official comment. Same. I have no one on the record, I but I no but, quote. but I got a couple of. I got speculation. Here's what I heard happen. Allegedly, um, there's a, one of an LRC staffer. Or I heard an intern. I don't. Again, this is some speculation here. Just yep. to be fair. Yep. There's a newborn baby, and uh, paraphrasing, the baby got vaccinated, and the senator uh, was weighing in on how fast that baby was going to die. Oh my gosh! What? <clears throat> Pat. 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 Uh, you know uh, the. Uh, uh, you know that we had the difference in versions of the ta- two different versions of the tale from uh, Julie earlier today, where. Uh, when she spoke to uh, Dakota News Now, uh, she said, well, that conversation did not revolve around the COVID-19 vaccine and its efficacy. But but then, as reported later in the Argus, uh, you know, she uh, she made the statement that it's come to my attention that the issue may involve a conversation I had with staff where I promoted my well-known stance on medical freedom. You know, and yeah. so yeah. you know, so her her story's kind of evolving, and I'm sure it's evolving as she uh, uh, speaks to counsel on it. I was going to say, I bet the <laughs> I bet the pre lawyer conversation and the post lawyer conversation were real different on the media side. When she speaks to uh, Sean Torno, <laughs> well, yeah, I I think that I I had some speculation whether she's going to be represented by Steve Halgard or Sean Torno. Yes. Oh my goodness. Oh. Don't forget uh, who's the guy uh, Odenbach had always had in there. Yeah, oh, certainly. All right, you know, but actually, uh, Senator Lee Schoenbeck is a lawyer too. He can... <laughs> she should call him. I, I'll, I'm gonna weigh in on. I'm gonna weigh in on. You know, if if the speculation, you know, if this if this is the case, if this is kind of the idea of the conversation that she had, in my mind, that proves to me that Julie Fry Mueller is a hypocrite, because if she is going to go around. And, you know, parade that she is in favor of parental choice and she allegedly berates a parent for a choice they made. That proves that Julie Freimuller is everything is she is absolutely not what she says she is. And I think, in my opinion, parents have a hard enough time making decisions for this children, their children in this world. They do not need especially I mean, the government. She is, you know someone to berate them for a choice they made for their child. And to me, she's a hypocrite for that, and it's classless. Pat, you were well, going to say something. Yeah, I was going to say, it, you know, it really doesn't speak to, quote, medical freedom to, uh, to berate uh, someone employed by, you know, in effect, employed by the legislature. So, you know, here's a boss berating an employee for the medical freedom that she chose at the time. I had, I had posted a video think yesterday from when the uh, red pill expo was oh, yeah. in rapid city where the, i mean that was kind of wild where she went on uh about 
schools, you know, people don't want to sign their their school policy book because they're giving permission to give injections to to kids and 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 give them transgendered treatments. Hey, you had your shot. <laughs> but uh, they'll but, never you know, learn. That, Except for you know, forty votes apart, it, they must have, in some part, known what they were voting for on this deal. Things got crazy, West River. Well, you know that uh, that was a hard-fought primary, and uh, but this is, you know, this is what they were looking for when yeah, they elected somebody. That's what I keep saying, right? Thirty-three, thirty, thirty-five. You boys have had a lot of swings at the bat to change up who you want in there. This is the bed they made. Uh, and yeah, this is kind of. I, I do want to speak to a little bit about, there is a question I think Pishke brought up, and it's a fair thing to bring up uh, when he was opposed to the uh, suspension of rules, yep. the legality of this, right, of suspending the ability of someone to vote. Now, uh, Pat, you brought up Dan Sutton, a uh, case back when I was a child. I think my dad was also Senate President Pro Temp during that as well. Is that correct? I just think the state that was That was among uh, some of the early days of the, of the, web, of the blog. Yeah, that yeah. was. Yeah. I, I mean, we're really kind of, Bookended. <laughs> yeah, I just, yeah. I just thought Governor Pennington made Lee president pro temp, and he's just been pro temp ever since the territory days. Just, ha- just hasn't changed. Yeah. <laughs> so the the reason why that's important is that went actually to the Supreme Court, the uh, sensibility to uh, censure one of their own and uh, stop their vote. I don't know if censure is the, the right word. No, there. I think I think yeah. Um, but the Supreme Court ruled that it's the Senate's business, and they get to choose if the person can vote on the floor or not. So there's precedent for this. You guys are both saying there's precedent for this to exist on a legal matter. Yep, 100% there's precedent for this. Pat, what about you? You know, oh, I, I would agree. I would agree. You know, certainly uh, before they took any action on this, I, I'm quite sure Lee reviewed it uh, extensively and and, you know, knew what... He uh, he had the ability to do and and not do and uh, you know it's not not often you see the uh, the uh, president uh, pro temp of the Senate uh, you know over coming uh, coming around on the uh, president of the Senate the lieutenant governor and uh, and uh, outmaneuvering him politically. Yeah, I thought uh, the uh, Senator Schumer was in the pocket of the governor, so I don't know how that happened. <laughs> Let's not be true. I don't know. I can't speak to it. All right. His website is dakotawarcollege.com. Mr. Pat Powers has been a politico for uh, quite a while in this uh, in this department. If anybody is ever thinking about running a race, I certainly would put Pat on the list of people I'd call first to see what he thought. dakotawarcollege.com is the site. Pat, thanks for coming on, man. Ooh, one more plug for him. Actually, the uh, Dakota oh, Campaign did, did, Store. Did, uh, yeah, Dakota Campaign Store. Dakota Campaign Store. He made most of my material. You know, I always tell candidates that, you know, a lot of the race is, is up to you, but we can sure make you competitive. <laughs> he hand delivers, too. So thanks so much, Pat. We appreciate you right, coming we have, on. We had Corey Heideprin on the other line. We got to go. <laughs> 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 oh, shit. Is he gone? Oh, damn it. I wanted him to hear that. Uh, take care, right, gentlemen. Right, <laughs> thanks, Pat. We'll see you later, man. All right. All right, that was week three of the Dakota Town Hall podcast, this time live from Sioux Falls at Town Square Media. That was Murdoch, Rebel, and Jake Schoenbeck. All right, thank you so much. We'll see you next week. Next week on Dakota Town Hall. Well, we've been promising some interviews with the left. Everybody's favorite almost Democrat, Mr. Billy Sutton, will join us.
I think we'll be seeing some more on taxes. The food tax is coming up. We got property tax. We got lots of taxes, fun stuff. I also think we'll see some things on housing, some more of that coming out, the actual what's going to look like. I have to imagine we'll talk more about transgender bills in the House and in the Senate. Third and finally, I think we're going to hear an update on a lot of this breaking news surrounding um, Fry Mueller and a lot of that investigation process. We're going to probably see more on what that committee looks like and a lot more information next week. So stay tuned there. It's going to be a fun next couple shows. I think we should get George Santos on here. I think he'd be a great oh! guest. He graduated from SDSU. Yeah, I think he was on the volleyball team for SDSU. You and was the uh, star center. World's fastest man, everything. Oh shit, that's funny. Dakota Town Hall, South Dakota's weekly podcast. Episodes available every Friday. For more information or to request availability, please go to dakotatownhall.com. Dakota Town Hall is presented in partnership with Home Slice Audio, produced by Leslie Klein. Music and audio production by Oakley Ty. Research by Home Slice Audio and Dakota Town Hall. Graphics by Timmy Grablander. Social media content by Scout Wheeler. And website design by Trey Wynn. Editorial advisor and executive producer, Brad Murdoch Jurgensen. Special thanks to all of our weekly Guests. While we try to be accurate with all of our information, this show is recorded live and errors may happen. For corrections, please visit dakotatownhall.com. Hosted by Noah Grable, Jake Schoenbeck, and Brad Murdoch Jurgensen. Dakota Town Hall, another Home Slice Audio production.